0: Hey, live from AC Second listeners, this is Sam Mulberry with our summer podcast series. This series is based on my spring 2018 sabbatical project in which I interviewed 15 faculty who won the Bethel University Faculty Excellence Award for Teaching. As part of this project, I created long-form video interviews with these people to talk about the art and craft of teaching, to talk about how they became teachers, how they think about teaching, how they think about education and interacting with students. So I want to share these full interviews with you throughout the course of this summer. If you're interested in watching these interviews, you can go to cwcradio.wordpress.com and look under The Teaching Project. If you want to watch the feature-length documentary Why We Teach, which is based on this interview series, you can also find that at cwcradio.wordpress.com. We'll be dropping interviews from this series onto the podcast feed throughout this summer. Our interview today is with Jay Rasmussen, the Faculty Excellence Award for Teaching winner from 2010. Hey.
1: I'm Jay Rasmussen, I teach in the Education Department. I've been at Bethel now 21 years, so I teach both in CAS programming and then CAPS-GS programs, but I'm primarily uh, CAS-affiliated. For me, it was not one of these things where I knew from the second I was born that I wanted to be a teacher. And uh, some people are that way and I've always envied them, but for me it was not an easy decision to arrive at. I knew that I liked working with kids, and my initial teaching career really involved working with uh, working with kids anywhere from about nine to about seventeen, and then I made the move eventually into teaching at the college level. But for me, my initial work with kids was in a camp setting, and uh, for about eight years, I led um, summer extended backpacking trips, canoeing trips, and. Uh, I've spent actually about two years of my life living in a tent, and much of that was done uh, working in a camp situation. Uh, Very intense experiences. Um, One summer we did 260 miles on the long trail the length of Vermont. Another summer we climbed the 46 peaks, you know, over 4,000 feet in the Adirondacks. And I saw the real power that um, extended, intense experiences can have in somebody's life, you know. And in this case, it was mostly 14, 15, 16-year-old boys that I was working with. And I just saw the power um, that came from those kind of experiences. And I tried to think, how can I make a real living actually doing this? And at that time, the field wasn't terribly developed in recreation. And so I started thinking, what's the next closest thing? So I started thinking teaching, uh, which is kind of what I was doing. I decided that I, would, that I would pursue that. I was born into a family of educators. My dad was a, was a teacher, a principal, uh, assistant superintendent, superintendent of schools and Duluth, college professor. So I'd always seen teaching from the inside. I knew exactly what I was getting myself into and um, decided I would give it a shot. But even, even my first year of teaching, I had a fifth grade, fifth grade classroom Uh, Actually, a fourth and fifth grade classroom where I was responsible for teaching both grades with 34 kids. Um, Even that first year of teaching, I enjoyed it, but I still wasn't 100% sure I wanted to teach. And um, I made application to law school at the University of Minnesota, was accepted, almost went that route. I was real interested in doing some work with the DNR, almost went that route, but my midway through my first year of teaching, I saw the kind of impact I was having on kids. And um, I said, this is pretty meaningful, you know, what I'm doing. So, so my initial teaching career really was based around working with fourth and fifth graders and um, worked as a building principal also, and then made the shift over, over to college teaching, which for me was not something that I pursued. Um, I was working on my master's and my doctorate at the University of Minnesota. I was approached uh, to come um, present a lesson at, at that time it was North Central Bible College and they wanted me to talk about how you integrate faith in a public school setting. And I came, prepared my little talk, noticed there were some people in the back of the room that I thought, why are you here? Uh, These were people in suits and looking very professional. It was not all your intro to ed college students there. So I thought, okay, this is kind of interesting. Um, Gave my talk. At the end of the time, about a day later, they came to me and said, would you ever consider teaching at North Central? And I said, no, I'd never really thought about that. Not sure I'm interested because I love teaching and I love what I was doing. So it was probably professionally the hardest decision I had to make, you know, to leave the K-12 teaching and and move into the college teaching ranks. And um, so that's really where I got my start. Spent about 10 years at North Central. um, Became a little bit unhappy with um, how the school was run, in a sense, and started doing a little bit of looking around, applied to Bethel, applied to Hamlin wound up as a finalist with both institutions, interviewed at both places pretty much simultaneously, and again, had a really hard decision to make because I really do like working with, with non-believers. I feel very comfortable in that environment, but uh, made the call to come to Bethel, and I've been here 21 years. Looking back on it, I'm, I'm really happy you know, with the decision I made. Bethel has been a good place for me. Um, I am going to be retiring at the end of this year. I'm 65 right now. Um, Have other interests. Um, I'm a landscape photographer as well. So for me, the thought of leaving teaching is, again, extremely difficult to do because I love it. I still feel I'm effective with it, but I'm going to go another kind of another direction at this point now. Uh, But I'm still going to be teaching, you know, in some capacity in whatever I do. I think I was not a typical student. Um, I remember very distinctly as a fourth grader and a fifth grader watching my teachers teach and literally critiquing their teaching in my head and thinking, if you did this, we would learn better, or if you did that, we would learn better. So I've always been pretty analytical, and um, it's... Critiquing teaching is something I've spent a long time doing, and part of it's art, part of it's science, part of it's intuition. It's a whole bunch of different things. But as a student, I recognized the importance of teaching. I could tell when good instruction was really happening and when it wasn't happening. Um, but as a student, if if I wasn't engaged as a learner, I very quickly found other things that I was interested in. Um, I was a horrible high school student because um, my teachers, um, and I went to school, high school in Florida actually after moving from Duluth. My teachers were not terribly well trained. They didn't understand the idea of building meaning and purpose in a lesson. I could not see the relevance of what they were teaching to my life. And it could have been explained, um, but it was never explained. I couldn't see it, it wasn't obvious to me. So I spent most of my time just reading other things than I was supposed to read. I got real interested in chess and spent a lot of time playing chess. And, you know, I still got, you know, I think I got, you know, B's, A's and B's mostly, but I pretty much invested nothing in it. Um, So I was not, not a great student, you know, by, by any means. Um, And it, I wasn't inspired by any teacher that I had really at the high school level or the middle level. It was a couple elementary teachers that inspired me and it wasn't until I hit college and I was in my teacher ed program that I had one, one person, a 71-year-old woman named Faye, uh, Faye Kirtland that really uh, kind of inspired me to teach and really helped me build the skill set that was going to be necessary. So she, she's the one that single-handedly really got me, got me into teaching, I think. I think it was really her just total commitment to what she was doing. And I was accepted in an experimental program at Florida State University. They took 21 students to be trained as L.Ed. teachers in a very different model. And we literally never set foot on a college campus for two years, my entire junior and senior year. Uh, I was in elementary schools and Faye Kirtland was my primary instructor. And she taught me literacy, she brought a few other people in that knew something about science and social studies teaching, but it was literally her and her kind of demands. Uh, We were all a bit terrified of her, but um, she taught me what it means to be a professional, what it means to really prepare a lesson well, what it means to engage students, to really care about students. Uh, She was ruthless when it came to looking at lesson plans and critiquing them. And uh, it was really her that um, built a sense of professionalism in me that has carried through, you know, to this day. Um, The model that I went through, you know, at Florida State is a model that I did bring to Bethel along with um, a professor named Sandy Horn. And we built out a model called Block 2 right now that really is a replication of what I went through at Florida State. It's a very, very intense teacher preparation program uh, for L. Ed majors that actually has received some national acclaim now. And our program's been rated actually top in the metro area. And a lot of it's based on really uh, the model that I went through and what I learned with Faye, the idea of an intense experience that's very personal, uh, that really calls for an all-in commitment, you know, on the part of students. And uh, it's been a real treat for me to involve. Be involved with that and bring some other professors into that. And they now will kind of carry on you know whatever legacy I might leave at Bethel. They have seen the power of the model and um, fight, fight really hard, you know to keep it alive at Bethel. When I first started teaching, I mentioned I had a fourth and fifth grade combination class, thirty four kids. I'm supposed to teach both grade levels every subject. One would think I would have been overwhelmed, but believe it or not, I wasn't because of the preparation I went through. I felt like I could do it, and I felt like I was successful right out of the gate. Um, I, think, I think what I was strong at was lesson design, like we talked about. I knew that I needed to put in massive number of hours and that this was going to be my life you know, for a period of time. Um, I really did recognize that I better get my act together in 3 years or so or I'm going to have no life for the rest of my life. You know, so I started thinking about planning efficiently and you know, how to how to get things done well yet was still without, you know, totally um, eating up any moment of free time that I might have. I do think I was good not just at lesson design, but really at building relationships and that's what I've carried into my Bethel experience. I think if you were to define what it is that makes me the teacher I am it it is about you know active engagement of learners, but I also think it's about um, caring for individual students, getting to know them as individuals and um, and really being in tune with where my students are at. I like to think that I have somewhat of the ability to when I'm teaching a class, to be inside the heads, literally of everybody that's in the room. And even while I'm teaching, be able to process kind of how they're processing what they're experiencing and monitor and adjust my instruction based on how I perceive they're getting things, not getting things, engaged, not engaged. So, you know, I think that's, I think those were some of the real strength areas. Um, Making the shift over to college teaching, um, Again, was not real hard for me because believe it or not, a lot of what I learned in working with fourth through fifth graders um, <laughs> you know, had relevance to working with college students. And um, I, needed to, I needed to break out of the idea that college teaching is somehow different you know, than teaching at the elementary level. And I think I walked into college teaching thinking that I could perhaps lecture a little bit more than I could with a fourth or fifth grader. And I learned that that's maybe not true as well. Um, I can certainly lecture, and I do lecture, but I think about how to really break it up into 15-minute chunks. I think about how to engage people during a lecture, you know, with turn-and-talk type things. And So I did have some adjustments to make there. I found that I could not read college students at all like I could read a fourth or fifth grader. College students, generally speaking, are more polite, um, it's hard to tell when they're really with you and not. They've learned how to play the game of looking straight at you and maybe even nodding their head and literally not hearing anything you're saying. So it took, me, it took me a while to really figure out college students, much more so. And then I've taught at some different institutions, so trying to figure out what is a Bethel student, that actually took me some time to figure out as well too. And I certainly don't have it all down now because, you know, students are continually changing. But, um, but I think that for me, those were the success areas, you know, building the relationships and really the growth areas for me too, really trying to understand who I'm working with, you know, on a, on a deeper level. In terms of learning how to grow as a teacher, um, it's been something really important to me. And I I have worked as the faculty development coordinator for a number of years. And I I really try to stress to faculty that teaching is not something you ever figure out and then you're there. Um, It is a lifelong pursuit. And I do think there's real danger in faculty who think, oh, I've got this whole thing figured out now. And I can just kind of go on autopilot and do what has worked in the past. And so for me, I purposely change up what I do Um, just so I'm trying new things, so I'm still feeling what it feels like to be somewhat of a new teacher and trying something new for the first time. I think it's really critical. It brings a life to me and to my instruction when I'm doing something new because I'm on the edge at that point. I don't, I literally don't know, even after I've been teaching 40 years now, I don't know for sure if it's gonna work You know, I give it my best guess, but it helps me grow as a teacher to purposely try new things. I will throw out things that I know work uh, just so I can try something new, just to to experiment with it, too. I do want my students to see me in that role as well, too, and I'll let them know sometimes I've never done this before, but I really want to try it, and I want them to see me in that role of somebody that's, you know, that's really professionally growing and learning as well, too. My teaching is really informed by, you know, by art. It's informed by the science of teaching. I'm still um, an avid reader of research on teaching. Um, I'm very interested in anything new that's coming out. You know, I see, you know, things being repeated that you know we've known for years and years. But I'm still still very interested in that as well too. So I try to keep up professionally with what the literature is saying. I really seek out teachers that I think are doing amazing jobs in their classroom. And those are the people I really like to hang around. And just We just have conversations usually in the hallway or wherever about things we're trying and what do you think of this and what do you think of that. I'm very energized by being around some high quality teachers and Bethel has a number of them in a number of different disciplines. So I'm inspired by my colleagues oftentimes as well too you know, so that that really helps me grow. I've never counted up how many lessons I've watched through the years, but between an elementary setting, a, you know, a college setting, you know, it's easily in the hundreds, maybe in the thousands of, of lessons I've watched. And when I watch somebody teach, I don't do it in a real traditional type way. In fact, I don't even, I, I kind of don't like checklists so much. I, um, I I tend to work a lot more intuitively when I watch someone teach. And I actually really don't even watch the person very much when I'm watching teaching. I'm watching the students and how the students are reacting to the instruction. I will glance sometimes at the instructor, but pretty much I'm always watching students. And I'm watching to see uh, are they engaged and, you know, People who know me and know what I believe about teaching know that I'm a real proponent of active learning strategies and so forth, but I think I'm often misunderstood on um, what I believe about that. Um, I do believe that students can be actively engaged sitting in a lecture for an hour straight. Um, To me, active engagement does not necessarily mean something physical that they're doing, but it means is their mind engaged? you know, and oftentimes it helps to have their body engaged in some way. But I'm really interested in are they thinking deeply about things? Are they being challenged? Are they being inspired? Are they being supported? You know, those are the things that I'm trying to see are really happening. Um, I do think that it helps a lot when instructors are Helping to make thinking visible on the part of students and what I mean by that is are they asking students to respond in some way to what they're hearing? So are they talking to a colleague about something? Are they talking in class about something? Are they writing about something? Are they doing something? But I do think that when students are making their own thinking visible, it helps the instructor know is learning really taking place? But it also really helps the students quite a bit, too, to understand their own thought processes, and it helps them really become metacognitive and to be able to think more deeply about their own thinking and what they need to do, you know, to be learners, you know, to, to, to really engage, too. There is so much that I look for when I think about uh, what am I look, what am, what's going on inside me intuitively, and often when I watch somebody teach, I literally don't write a thing or say a thing for a long period of time. It could be I'm watching somebody 10 minutes before I write the first word. And what I'm doing is really trying to soak in what that environment is. Is this an environment where the students feel comfortable, where they feel supported, where they feel safe, uh, where they feel challenged You know, at the same time? So I'm really reading a lot of nonverbals on the part of students. Um, I think I can often tell within, sometimes within seconds, maybe minutes, what that environment is going to be. Is it really a good, a good place you know, for a student to learn? You know, it's, we call it a feeling tone, so is there a feeling tone that's, that's positive or even neutral in that classroom? In other words, how does the student feel about being in that environment? because it's critical for them to open themselves up to some degree, you know, if they're truly going to learn in a classroom. So I'm looking to see, are they open, you know, to to what's going on in this classroom? Um, I mean, I could talk forever about eye contact, I could talk forever about questioning strategies, you know, feedback mechanisms, um, super, super important. I'm a big believer in informative assessment. You know, much of what we do as teachers is really about finding out where a student is at, thinking about where they're capable of going, and then thinking how do we help them move to that next point? You know, it's called zone of proximal development, Vygotsky's theory. You know, are we continually keeping our students in that area of where they're truly being challenged yet still have the um, the skill set you know to be successful in what they're doing? So I'm really watching for that an awful lot too. I'm really attuned much more so lately to, is what I'm seeing culturally responsive you know, or is this um, only really appealing to kind of a white middle class, upper middle class student? You know, are we being really inclusive in our instruction, you know, based on our understanding of history and our understanding of materials and kind of the questions that we ask and how we ask those questions. So, I could talk literally forever on this topic, but that that's a little bit of what I'm looking for, you know, as i as I watch instruction. Being at a Christian liberal arts institution, um, to me is really where I wanted to be. Um, I mentioned earlier that I made a change in where I had taught previously. Um, I did teach at what I would call more of a Bible college, and um, the focus was not on the liberal arts necessarily, it was more so on, Um, on Bible theology. um, I was really interested in moving to a liberal arts institution simply because of the reason that I thought it provided a better foundation for the teachers that I was going to encounter. And society has become increasingly complex, multicultural, especially in the United States. And I really wanted students coming to me that had some understanding of the world and understanding of other cultures, understanding of history, understanding of themselves. And much of teaching right now is not just understanding the pedagogy, it's not just understanding the curriculum that you may be handed, but it really is understanding your students and the world that they come from and knowing how to make yourself accessible you know, to the students so i i really sought out a liberal arts institution to teach at simply because i thought it was going to best prepare our teachers once i get them as teachers our focus really becomes much more so on methodology you know i'm a i work in the area of literacy development assessment and that often becomes my primary focus once i have the students but three quarters of their day is not related to pedagogy or methodology. It's really trying to figure out the students and the world they're coming from and how, how am I relevant you know, in their life. That's really why I sought out the, a liberal arts institution to be a part of. I also feel that for me as a professional, I wanted to be in an environment where it was not just all educators or all pastors, um, but I wanted to be in an environment where I could interact on a daily basis with people in the humanities and the sciences and I do think that most interesting conversations are cross-disciplinary, and I wanted to be among folks that really knew their stuff and were passionate you know, about what they did. We were talking kind of off-camera a little bit about the importance of team teaching, and um, I do think that any teacher, especially beginning teacher, that has an opportunity to team teach with somebody, I think the learning curve... Um, grows exponentially, at least doubling, in terms of how fast you can really develop your teaching skills simply by watching other people and picking up on on their styles. And I think what that does is it really helps you hone your style as a teacher. And ultimately, we need to be who God has really called us to be as teachers. And um, we can't be imitations of anybody else but it does take a while for us to figure out who we are. I think as we begin as teachers, whether college level or whatever, we're often, we often approach it as adolescents do, where I think you're just trying things. You're trying to find yourself, and you might be this for a while, might be that for a while. But if you have the time to really work with others, interact with others, I think it speeds the process of you really figuring out who am I you know, as a teacher. And I think that... Um, a real key to teaching is just the honesty that you can bring to the classroom. Um, I'm maybe honest to a fault in my own teaching, but students know when I say something, I really mean it. I believe it deeply. I'm, I'm comfortable saying the hard things to students that need to be said. And ultimately, they know that I care about them and that I have their best interests at heart and, hearts, and they're, they're willing to hear that. I want to train teachers who know more than they're saying when they are actually teaching something that might be history related or something that might be arts related or uh, something that might be more related to the natural sciences or or whatever. I want my students to know more than they're just saying when they're teaching. Any teacher can, can go on Wikipedia and read a little bit about electricity. And figure out what to say when they're teaching students about electricity or magnetism or whatever it might be. But I really want a teacher who knows a whole lot more than what they might be saying to fourth or fifth graders. Because what happens is students are very intuitive and they can figure out very quickly when they have reached the end of the knowledge, you know, that a given teacher has. Whether it Doesn't matter if it's a college level or at the elementary level, whatever. And they intuitively know when I've heard everything, you know, that Sam Mulberry has to say about this period in history. And they stop asking questions. And often what happens, instructors start to get a bit nervous that, hey, I'm going to get a question I don't know an answer to, and then they start to kind of shut down too. So I really want students that know, that really understand some, some history and some art and music and humanities and, you know, natural sciences and um, you know, physical sciences and so forth uh, because I want there to be a depth to them where when they get a question, <clears throat> when they have a teachable moment, they can really use that in some way. I want students to see that there is some depth to this fourth grade teacher that they have cared enough about a period of time in history that they've actually gotten excited about it, they've actually learned about it. and. Those are all the intangibles that I think make a good teacher. A good teacher is a a true learner in themselves. And you've got to know more about life than just what you might get just studying physics your entire life or just studying World War II your entire life. So I really want that well-rounded student that that loves loves learning. And that's the kind of model that if I'm a, a principal, and I have been one, that's the kind of teacher that I want to hire somebody that has that's excited about life and know something about it. I come from a public school teaching world. That's my world. That's what I feel very comfortable in, sometimes even more comfortable than in a Christian school world. Um, it, it was a, for me, it was a really hard thing to think about and talk about when I first came to Bethel because, in a sense, in a public school setting, you do have some limitations on what you can say, often um, those limitations are not um, as serious as what beginning teachers often think. We are free to respond to questions and we can say a whole lot more than some beginning teachers think we can legally say and do. So for me, it was a really difficult thing to articulate and to think about. I did really appreciate um, having to write a faith integration paper and it really made me think a lot more deeply about what does it mean to integrate faith in a classroom and it sure better go beyond yeah i do devotions at the start of class and i tell students i'm praying for them so to me it needs to uh, be fully integrated in what i say and what i do in a classroom i'm not a big one at it artificial add-ons of i do devotions but they're really organic. They spring out of what's going on in the classroom, what people are thinking, what they're saying. Many of my devotions actually aren't things where I'm even talking very much. It's often things, situations, questions I pose to students, and then we just explore things together. So for me, true faith integration needs to be integrated, not just an add-on piece. So I often will think about what I'm teaching on a given day, and I think about how do I bring faith into this you know, in a really natural way. I'll just give an example. Um, my next class session, um, it's gonna be tomorrow, um, is on working with second language learners. And I'm, I am gonna start with a devotion there that's really first person, and I'm gonna start out by talking a lot about how when my dad was superintendent of schools in Duluth, um, and I actually grew up in an atheist family I had never been to church. My dad decided when I was 11 years old we were going to go to church for the first time. We went to the United Methodist Church in Duluth up on the hill, and I was excited to go to church, and I started to daydream as a kid when the, uh, when the pastor was speaking. I started envisioning what heaven might look like, and I was seeing all white people because that's what I saw in this church, I knew church had something to do with heaven. I knew there were probably angels and harp, harp music playing, and that's what I was envisioning. So tomorrow, when I meet with my students, I start off talking to them about how this is what my vision of heaven was. And when I became a Christian, I encountered Revelation. I'm going to read the passage of Revelation that talks about all nations and tongues and tribes, you know, are before the throne. And I'm going to talk about that understanding for me meant that I really, as a fourth grade, fifth grade teacher, I had the opportunity to bring people into that kingdom of heaven. And I needed to think about how I'm going to bring folks in that are not just white, that my my vision of heaven was not accurate, you know. Um, So I'm talking a lot about tomorrow, you know, the responsibility, the privilege, the opportunity I had to help students encounter God, but in order to do that, I needed to understand how do I really meet the real needs of second language learners that I've got in my classroom. And then I'm going to suggest some things that I think are going to be helpful in terms of you know, meeting those daily practical needs you know that they have. So that would be an uh, kind of an example of integration in a real specific you know, real specific way. but um, that's really how I, I function with it. Um, my teaching, I think, has always been led by the Holy Spirit. Um, I can't honestly say I pray before every class, but if I don't feel good about what I'm about to do in that classroom and just deep down don't feel good about it, I will seek God for direction. What do I need to say? What do I need to do? And then that direction often will come in driving. I'll wake up with ideas. It'll come in the shower. But I do serve a God that partners with me in my teaching, and I want to leave that partnership open. I do need to really hear. Um, I've literally changed what I was going to say within five seconds in a classroom setting based on just how I felt God was leading you know, at a given point in time. So I've continually viewed teaching as a partnership. Um, otherwise, it's so overwhelming to think about um, the impact that a single teacher can have on one person's life, and who am I to be that person? And I do believe that God cares more deeply about these students, college students, elementary students that I'm ever going to care care about, and um, I, I seek actively that partnership. I'm always a little nervous when I teach. I'm always a little bit scared a little bit, and I see that as a good sign, because I know that I can't do this in and of myself and do what really needs to be accomplished, you know, with the students that I encounter. You know, what is teaching? You know, you can you can look at it from a science perspective. You know, there's we actually know a lot, you know, about you know, a lot of research on what makes effective teaching and so forth. There's more and more written now about, you know, the art of teaching. Not a ton written about the craft of teaching. I think that's an interesting way to think about it too. You know, what's the difference between an art and, and a craft and um, and a science? Um, I think these things I think good teaching clearly is a blend of those things. Um, I think that I think it's much harder to learn the art of teaching and the quote craft of teaching than it is the science of teaching. I mean, you can read any number of articles, go to any number of presentations, and I do those things, I write those things. You know about you know questioning levels and you know where are you at and you know those are things that people can read and are truly truly worth reading because they build a foundation you know of what you're doing. Um, for me, the art of teaching has been really interesting to pursue, and I think one way I've pursued that actually is is being an artist myself. Um, I am a I am a painter. I do some watercolor work. Um, and I'm primarily a photographer right now. I do landscape photography, so the way the way I approach art, you know, as a photographer, is somewhat similar to how I approach teaching as well. Too, I try to do a lot of observation um, of my students, just like I'm doing of landscape, for example. I'm trying to think of different and unique ways to approach things. Um, I'm trying to really listen to my gut a lot about what is an image that's really worth making. You know, what is a lesson that's really worth designing? Am I happy with this? Is this just barely adequate? Or am I going to go after something that's really pretty extraordinary in some way? I've always been a person, too, that has had other interests in life. I do think that the good teachers are well-rounded people, that have a life outside of Bethel and teaching. And so I've always had something else that I've pursued during teaching. I've been a musky guide, I've done all kinds of different type things. I've always had another hobby that was really, that I was pretty passionate about. It was always a hobby that was kinda hard to learn in some way because I really wanted to be in the position of a learner, just to see what that feels like. And there's even artistry in that, I think, um, trying to approach what I do from different different lenses, different perspectives, you know, that type of thing. The craft part, I just got thinking a little more about that lately, but I think the craft part kind of comes in with the science of teaching a little bit. How am I going to refine questioning strategies and, and some of those types of things? Um, but the artistry part still really, really intrigues me and. I clearly don't fully understand it. I'm just getting kind of getting some some glimpses into it, but intuition and gut level feelings really is a big a big player in that. So, I enjoy the arts too cuz it just increases my sensitivity, I think, to to looking at things, hearing things, seeing things, truly being an observer and not jumping too fast to conclusions about anything. About my learners, about my content, about anything, you know, the more I learn about teaching, the more you know this has been said, but the more I realize I don't know what I know. You know, I used to think a student in my classroom who never talked. I used to think they're not learning, you know, that they're not interested, they're not following me. It's often those folks that are actually the most engaged. they're just thinking really deeply about what's going on. So I don't know, I just continually I'm fascinated by teaching one reason I hate to kind of formally give it up because I love thinking about it, talking about it, thinking, you know, like I said, thinking about it. So it's, it's so intriguing. It is for me a really interesting question is how, how is teaching teachers different than teaching a, a content area or a specific discipline? And um, so it, it raises the bar just a little bit, you know, for teaching teachers because we have a very defined body of content that we teach. I mean, it's actually a very sophisticated discipline. Um, I'm, I work in the area of literacy, so I better know an awful lot about reading development. I better know an awful lot about oral communication skills, you know, teaching um, listening skills, writing skills. So there, there is a body of work, a body of research that is there, and I need to know it, and I need to be able to teach that to the students as well. But my challenge is how do I teach that in a way that is really gonna help them develop as teachers and not just as consumers of whatever this body of knowledge is you know, that, that we have to communicate. And what that means for me is basically they I need to model what good teaching is uh, at an elementary level because those are the folks that I'm working with. It's just like our NES courses that we have at Bethel. Um, it's a whole lot easier to teach it just from a a discipline-based perspective where you're teaching well this is what physics is or this is what mathematics is or whatever but it's much more difficult to teach those courses you know both the math courses and the NES courses in a way that is um, gonna model what good instruction might look like at an elementary level so it's a real challenge and not everybody can do it. Um, it helps a lot to have had experience, you know, teaching at an elementary level. But anyhow, for me, <clears throat> what I, the weird thing that I try to do with my students is I go I go in and out of character at times, and there are times that I will look very much like a college professor. There are times that I will look exactly like a fifth-grade teacher. And What I need to help my students do is know when I'm doing that, when I'm going in and out of character, because I can't have them feel like I'm talking to them as fourth graders and feel like they're being insulted. So it's really hard to describe how I do this, but I use humor a lot in my classroom. I know I don't look like a terribly funny person, but I've got a very strange sense of humor. And um, so I pull humor into the classroom And I actually introduce some different characters into my instruction. So there's times that I might be Mr. Rasmussen instead of Dr. Rasmussen. And Mr. Rasmussen knows nothing about teaching. So he will come into the classroom sometimes to teach. And his pedagogy is horrific. You know, he can be sexist, he can be racist. I mean, he can know nothing about student involvement. His questioning strategies are horrible. Um, so there's times he'll come in the classroom and then we actually debrief, you know, what were the issues with Mr. Rasmussen here, you know, how could he have improved his instruction, you know, in some way. But I'm, as I build a relationship with students, I'm, I'm convinced that they can tell when I'm modeling something for them, um, because I want them to see how it's done as a fourth or fifth grade teacher versus what I would do if they were just college students and I were teaching a straight up discipline. So. I'll give you an example of it. <clears throat> I may give students um, an assignment, something that I want them to do in class. Might be a table discussion or whatever. And then what I teach fourth and fifth grade teachers is that giving directions is extremely difficult, still very difficult at the college level. And I often tell them, after you've given complicated directions, simply ask somebody, who can tell me the first thing you're going to do when you get in your small group now? What's going to be the second thing you're going to do? What's the third thing that you're going to do? Or I will say, is there anybody in our fourth grade classroom now that thinks they can remember everything that they're going to do when they get going in their small group discussion? Students will often listen to another student much more so than they will a teacher who is saying the same thing you know, for the third time. So it's a strategy that helps fourth and fifth graders actually know what they're supposed to do when they get turned loose to do an assignment. So when I'm teaching at a college level, I often will do things that I would normally do in a fourth-grade classroom, but my students know me well enough now and they trust me uh, enough to know that I know that I don't need to do this with them because they are college students, but they can recognize that I'm simply doing it because I want to model a strategy for them. So my classroom, if you were to sit in it, you would think, am I in a college classroom or am I in a fourth-grade classroom? Because my content area is very sophisticated to the point of like, I've had students say, they aren't quite sure what I'm saying. It takes them a while to figure out, you know, what's really being said here, you know, and it'll still feel like an elementary classroom at times in terms of how I build community, how I invite students into discussions, you know, all these kinds of things. So I've got to create a very strange environment that is not easy to do. And some instructors don't have success with it because they feel, the students feel like they're being talked down to when they aren't really getting what the distinction is that I'm trying to bring, you know, bring to play in here. Um, I will at times be metacognitive when I'm teaching teachers as well, but I don't like to do it where I'm stepping out of it and losing time in the classroom and asking them, well, I just did this, well, why do you suppose I did that? So I do it sometimes, but I don't wanna break the flow of what's going on in the classroom. So I tend to not do it a lot and thinking that they are seeing why I'm, that they're understanding why I'm doing what they're doing. They, I do know that they have learned that anything I do in the classroom has, has a purpose behind it, and they actually start wondering, like, why is he doing this? I know they do that and then they eventually figure out, this is why he's doing this. He wants us to see this is a way to distribute materials or you know, whatever it might be. So I'm working primarily with juniors and seniors, so that's a big advantage for me because they understand this whole teaching enterprise better than an intro to ed student would in particular. I do feel that the strength of a teacher in front of a larger group of people is really based on the relationship that they've been able to build with the individuals in that classroom. And I think that if you've been successful in building some kind of a a meaningful relationship with each student, when you stand in front of them, and there could be 50 people in the room, 75, 150 people in the room, if you've somehow been able to manage, to build that relationship with individual students, they then see that, that teaching, you in the front of the room, is something that's really directed to them. They feel that you're literally talking to them. You're working with them in some way. So the challenge obviously becomes, how do you build those relationships? And especially when you're in a really large class setting. You know, if you have 100 students in a classroom, it's a whole different type of thing than if you got 15, you know, 20 students in a classroom then too. So in the larger classroom settings, I think it really comes down oftentimes to using some self-disclosure in your teaching where they're having an opportunity you know to get to know you even though it's a very public setting they're still hearing things that are kind of personal you know about you Um, Jesus taught through stories taught taught through metaphors examples much of the time and I'm a huge believer in story Um, I start many many devotions lessons just by starting in with a story and they kind of have no idea where it's going to go, but eventually it goes where I wanted it to go, To you know, taking us in to what we're going to do. So the idea of publicly building a relationship, I think, can be there, but then a lot of it comes down to um, during class time. Uh, who am I looking at? Who am I asking questions of? Where am I even walking you know, when I'm teaching? Um, I'm always in a classroom ahead of time if I can be there, I'm always just kind of hanging around, you know, at the end. I always try to get my act together enough as a teacher that the first the ten minutes before class starts, I'm actually I'm fully ready at that point. And all I'm doing is making small talk, you know, and I'm just asking, well, how'd this go? How'd that go? I'm joking, I'm sometimes I'm not saying anything. I'm just kind of there. That's part of it. Another really, really big part of it is in the, the quality of feedback that I give to students. Um, I don't feel that when teachers give feedback that it should be cookie cutter. Um, It doesn't cut it, in my estimation, to put a B on the top of a paper and say, you know, great job. I mean, that's garbage. Um, Formative assessment to me is really important. So I get very um, personal um, in a sense that I'm tailoring my comments to the work that that individual student did. I'm even thinking about kind of growth I've seen in them where they can go a little bit. My comments are not cookie cutter. Um, I will use some stock comments. I teach online as well, too. So I'll have um, some basic templates that I might use on something and then I have maybe it's two, three, four lines that I customize directly to that work. Again, I can't kill myself giving feedback all the time. But they, when students get feedback from me, they they want to read it. They're looking really carefully at it and they can see because of the depth of the feedback that I care about them, that I really want them to grow as individuals. And to the point of where they really start seeking out my feedback, they, they honestly wanna know what I really think about things. And those are great questions. And I tell them you know, what, it, you know, what my thoughts are on things. But it's, it's, a, it's a relationship that's really hard to build. I was trained as a fourth grade, fifth grade teacher too, to really look for those students that are not not engaged, appear to be not engaged, and I will actively go after those students that are quieter. I often will have a private conversation um, with them, and I'll say, I'll just say very quietly, or I'll write it in a paper sometimes that I think you really have a lot to contribute in class. Do you think you could talk a little bit about this? And um, they just need that encouragement sometimes to talk. Um, I don't feel I've been successful in a classroom setting if by the midpoint, I haven't gotten pretty much everybody feeling comfortable enough to talk. So when I structure things in a classroom, I often, I don't do a lot of whole group instruction, uh, whole group discussion at the start. Um, I tend to do a lot more pairs, and then when they're comfortable in that setting, I'm often just walking around listening in, maybe adding a few comments. I'll move them into threes, I'll move them into fours. And then everybody starts to feel more comfortable talking in the classroom, then I move over to a larger, you know, then I'll go with some more large group discussion and they're so used to talking that they just do it. They forget to be nervous or scared or, you know, whatever it might be. But um, but I work pretty hard on a personal level to get everybody engaged in some way. Um, I really do like online instruction from the perspective that everybody has to be engaged. I often think they actually know more about one another in the classroom setting um, that's online than they do in a face-to-face setting because everybody has to join in the conversation in some way. So I'm a real big believer in, in community. Um, I teach it a lot, and um, it's that all boils down to personal relationships. and. And I want the students to build those relationships, not just with me, and some teachers just go that route. I, I'm just as in, it's just as important to me that they build those relationships with one another because they have much to learn. Um, and when they can talk about what they're learning, making their own thinking visible, that is part of the educational process. But they need somebody that actually cares and somebody that's really willing to listen and be honest with them you know, in terms of feedback they're giving them. I think what students will say, will say about me and do say about me is that I'm really hard um, as a teacher, that I really push them. I think they'll say that they maybe worked harder than they'd ever worked in a course before, an education course, and that they really got a lot out of it. Um, I think they would say that I really care about them as individuals. Um, I think they would say that I really have their back. Um, and I think, particularly students of color, um, students where learning is, uh, English is a second language for them, I think they would say that I really, really do have their back. And I've really put their interests really foremost in, me, in my mind. Um, I think they would say that I'm really, really supportive. Um, and I have a lot of them that come to me for advice on teaching things, other things. I I think they would say that I'm that I'm wise, um, and I have other faculty come to me kind of for maybe some of those similar reasons as well too. But um, that's uh, you know it's it's an emotional thing to think about because yeah I'm thinking about legacy right now obviously and and those are the things that I feel really good you know about about them saying they will always say that I'm really organized that I'm really well prepared. They'll always say that I give them really good feedback you know those are all things that they'll that they'll say thinking about advice for a new teacher coming to Bethel um, it really depends a lot on their background you know if they come from a teaching background or don't come from a teaching background um, there honestly is a whole lot to be learned about teaching and unfortunately many people have not been trained as as educators I I've heard many, many, many faculty members at Bethel who are brilliant in their discipline. You know, it could be chemistry or literature, or a foreign language, whatever it is. Um, many of them that, that they realize that there are some pieces that they just didn't get, you know, as they were, as they moved into to being a teacher. You know, so the whole science of teaching, I think, is, is something that it's worth learning. It's something worth knowing about. So somebody that comes from a background where they didn't have a lot of formal training, you know, in, in pedagogy, andragogy, um, I I think it's important that they understand, you know, some real basics about teaching. Like, how do you design a good assignment? You know, how do you prepare a good lecture? You know, how do you give meaningful feedback to students? You know, how do you build relationships with students? You know, how do you? What is your role in relating to students? Are you friend? Are you you know, professor, or are you close to them? Or are you not close to them? You know, there's, there's a lot, you know, really to be learned about that. Um, I would say, generally speaking, that, that we all teach out of who we are as people. I think sometimes beginning teachers lose sight of that and they become too focused just on their content, um, just on their delivery. Um, what they have to accomplish, you know, that day. And I think they need to bring who they are as a person, you know, into their teaching as well. Um, I've worked with a number of professors at Bethel that actually look very unapproachable. They might look very kind of mean and strict and stern, and often students, students are just scared of them. They don't realize that there is some humanity, you know, to this person. So I think it's important that students kind of get to know you, you know, to know your life and to know your stories and and, you know, that they can see you not just as this removed professor, but actually a real person who loves whatever it is, the discipline, you know, that they're that they're teaching. So I think that even though, you know, you want to prepare lessons well, you need to ultimately be who you are. We teach out of who we are, you know, as people. So I would say bringing that, that humanity into it, you know, is, is really critical. Um, I do think for beginning teachers that to do the learner perspective on instruction is really critical. Uh, is something I've had the privilege of working with and it's brought me, it's in, it's brought me into encounters with probably a hundred different people, you know. Um, so I think it's extremely helpful to get feedback early in your career because we build patterns, we build habits, and those can be good, they can be bad, they can be in between. And especially for a new professor, and it doesn't matter if you've been an elementary teacher, high school, middle teacher, middle level teacher, there are things that we can always do better. So seeking out that feedback from somebody that's going to be honest with you and that really understands teaching, I think, is extremely helpful. I would say, too, that if you can ever find people to team up with, like, you know, like I alluded to earlier, I think it'll speed your growth big time, you know, as a teacher as well, too. Um, But I think the big thing to think about with teaching is how, how are you really engaging your students and um, thinking about the shift of a beginning teacher where you think about, really you're thinking about yourself, like, what am I going to say next? What am I going to do next? How are they, how are they viewing my instruction? But And there's no fast way to get there, but trying to put yourself in in the shoes of your students then and really thinking about not just what's important in what I do, but what's important in what they do. Um, If there's ever a phrase that I'm going to be famous for saying about teaching, it would be this phrase. You know, whoever does the most work learns the most. So I think for beginning instructors, it's important to move out of that mindset that I'm the one that has to do the most work here. And really start thinking about how can I have students do the most work, and I'm really going to be there to support them and challenge them, you know, in that work that they're doing. So somehow making that shift from being, <clears throat> you know, the the teacher is the main focus to the student really has now become the main focus in what I'm doing. And students can see that, and they know that when that's happening, and they appreciate instructors that are really there for them. You know, as individuals, not just those that are there to put on necessarily a great performance. Not that that is not a good thing, that can be a very good thing, but it's got to go beyond that. It's got to go, what does this mean to the student? I would think that students oftentimes need to open themselves up to the instruction that they're receiving, and every instructor that a student is going to have is going to be different in some way. And students are going to encounter instructors that they just instinctively just love. And I can think of a number of instructors at Bethel that students just love them. You know, for one reason or another, they just think they're amazing. And they're happy to be in their classes. There are other instructors that students may just not really like very much, but they could wind up being an amazing instructor. And um, I think students need to realize that the instructors they have at Bethel are here for a reason. That Bethel has been pretty strategic in who they make hires for. They take it very seriously, and students literally need to open themselves up at times, you know, to what this person, this person's perspective on things, their teachings on things, and even though they may not agree with them initially, uh, they need to open themselves up to thinking about them, you know, seriously. Um, I really do talk a lot with students about the idea of being a critical consumer, and not consumer's not the right word, but being a critical thinker in what they're hearing from their professors, and to recognize that most professors don't think they're being challenged um, on an intellectual level by a question that might be coming that appears to be adversarial to, to what the instructor's talking about. So I actually really do encourage students to ask hard questions. If there are things they don't understand, if they can't picture themselves doing, that's a time really to ask the question. And I try to let students know that most professors actually really like questions because it gives them an opportunity to go deeper in whatever it is you know that they were that they were talking about. Um, I do talk with students about what we know about. The science of learning, and um, there's a book I love, you know, it's called Make It Stick, and it's a great book for students to read. It's There's a lot there that they can learn about how they actually learn, so there's, there's um, a good bit there, you know, that I think is important as well, too. I do really stress the idea for students that it's important that they make their own thinking visible, and that when someone asks them to articulate their thoughts, this is not just because they have idle curiosity, but when students have to really formulate their own thoughts and put them together, it is really uh, falling back on um, kind of a constructivist perspective, which is philosophically where I'm at, you know, on teaching, that, that we all are building learning continually. And um, when students take that time to rehearse what it is they're learning, when they have to do concept maps, when they have to organize papers, those kind of things, those are all things that are helping them build meaning you know, out of the the school experience, you know, that they're they're engaged with. My advice for Bethel would be to really support support your faculty, support your staff believe in them, trust them Um, to think about, I think for Bethel, to think about what leadership means in the field of higher education and to think outside of the box in terms of what's been done, um, to take some chances, to take some risks which is most difficult when you're in financial difficulties but to think really about R&D as seriously as some major companies think about it and to actually invest in that To understand the difference between what true leadership is and what management is. I think we have some good managers. I still see a need for leaders to really step up in some ways. I think for Bethel to be good at what they do, um, to perhaps realize that... um, Growth is not always the measure of success, and to think about how we can do well and do better what we do with perhaps a student population that's not going to grow, you know in some way, and to really build on what those what those distinctives are and to and to do that really well. On the other hand, I would say to not look at what's going on around us in higher ed and say, Oh, other colleges are having difficulties recruiting students. That this is normal, and it's okay. What's going on? Um, I do. There are higher ed institutions right now that are experiencing growth, and it is possible to do. And I think we need to figure out how to do it. Now, this sounds totally contrary to what I was just saying a second ago. But I don't want us to be complicit, complacent, and think, oh, it's okay that we're not growing and let's just keep doing what we're doing. I want us to be innovative and to move forward. I do I have been a big proponent of online learning, you know, for a host of different reasons. I do I do think it's a bit of a mistake on the cast side that we're not pursuing more actively developing more options for students uh, to learn online. Um, I do think it's a mistake to not pursue more fully the largest growth area in higher ed right now. And I know there's debates about should that, you know should the emphasis be more on the adult learner or more on the traditional age learner. I know some of that research, but I, I still think it's worth pursuing uh, for a host of different reasons. I do think Bethel has a major hurdle to overcome in terms of our reputation within communities of color, and I understand why that reputation is, is tainted. Um, I think we need to look, look deeply at what the experiences have been of students of color at Bethel and the kind of hurt and frustration that's been caused by, by Bethel in certain communities. And I think we need to learn from those mistakes and try to rebuild you know some of the the reputation that's that's really been damaged in some communities of color. Uh, We need to figure out how better to serve the underserved because the underserved, the underrepresented will be the norm, is the norm right now. And we need to better figure out how to really serve Uh, some of those communities in particular.